Hello and welcome to Best of London and thank you for listening. Each week I ask a guest seven questions including what's your best London venue, event, place to eat, area and London life hack. You'll find out the best things to do and places to go in London. Our guest this week is an author, academic and historian who, despite being in her mid-30s, is one of the most respected in her field in the world. She's such an expert that she's an assistant professor at LSE, where alumni include Mick Jagger, David Attenborough and one of the world's richest people, George Soros, as well as global prime ministers and royalty. She's held fellowships at prestigious universities, including Yale. She serves on the board of journals, helps organise seminars, and has a hotly anticipated book out soon. I'll go into more details about that at the end, and links about where you can pre-order that are in the show notes, along with Best of London contact details. She's done races, including the Sydney Marathon, and has an adorable dog called Ellie, who she brought with her for this recording. We talk a bit about what breed she is and the surprising story of how she came to be in the UK. If you listen carefully, you'll sometimes hear a pitter-patter of paws on the floor, which I think is her providing commentary on the interview in Morse code. At one point, she even started licking my face. This is the dog, not the historian. I'll put a photo of us with this adorable dog, Ellie, on the Best of London Instagram page. That's Best O London with no Fs. I'm Ben Affleck, spelt with one F, not like the other one, and I'm on a quest to find the greatest places to go and things to do in London. Please follow or subscribe for free so you don't miss out. Our guest is an Australian with expertise in China and America, and she now lives right here in London. She has recommendations for places where I'll definitely be going. She talks about a regular night at a historical venue, which always makes her laugh, cry and reconnect with loving life. A place that does the best pies in London and getting special treatment on a night with the talented actor and hot priest from Fleabag, Andrew Scott. This is Best of London, according to Dr Elizabeth Ingleson. I'm originally from Australia, but I've spent about uh, the last 10 years uh, moving all over. So I was in America for about, um, uh, on and off for about six years, uh, a bit of time in China, a bit of time back in, in Australia. And London is home. London is, you know, the last stop. So what was life like for you growing up? Um, well, I grew up in, a, in Sydney, Australia, not too far from the beach. Um, nice. I swam a lot. I said so beach was really important to me. Um, and I read a lot. I was a real bookworm. Mm. Uh, which I think is ultimately why I've ended up <laughs> <laughs> reading for my job, which is ultimately what history requires of you, a lot of reading, a lot of thinking. And was there anything in particular that you think sparked your interest in history? Um, I think the thing that sparked me the most um, was growing up in Australia, I was always interested in the world. I was interested in uh, geopolitics. I was interested in the region, understanding Australia and its place in the world. Do you know um, anything about your family pre-Australia? Well, actually, I do a little. Um, and I will say one of the joys of living here last year was the Ashes cricket. I'm a big ah, cricket fan. yeah. <laughs> and so that dynamic was particularly satisfying last year with um, you guys just showing how, you know, <laughs> Um, what? <laughs> uh, but it was it was very fun to be to be following the ashes, uh, you know, especially at a time of you know Australian triumph. <laughs> but to be doing so here, but um, more broadly in terms of my background, um, my I actually am an, a British citizen, so I actually am. Um, yet you're still supporting Australia. <laughs> it sounds like. I know. I do have a soft spot for some of the British cricketers. Um, so Stuart Broad has a, oh, right, has a soft yeah. spot in my heart. Uh, but my dad was um, uh, was born in Leeds. Oh, right. Yeah, so he um, he's a Yorkshire man. Um, yeah. And he and his brothers and his, his parents um, came to Australia just after World War II. So they were part of a historic movement of... Um, uh, 
generally poor white uh, British people coming to Australia mm. uh, after the war. It was actually part of a, quite a racist policy. It's called the White Australia Policy. Right, yeah, that, yeah. Um, very specifically and overtly tried and, and aimed to populate the country of Australia after the war with uh, white people. And so they appealed to poor people, right. um, which is my dad's family, and they um, so they came over. They're called 10-pound poms. Right. So they paid 10 pounds for right. the whole family. Really? To go to yeah. Australia? Can mm-hmm. you get that these yeah, days? Yeah, I know. Can you? you can't get that. These, <laughs> I know. I would, I would love to pay 10 pounds to get back to Australia. Um, <laughs> so, they yeah, the 10 pounds, get on the ship. They, they, um, they got on the ship. Uh, and ended up in Perth, Western Australia. Oh, right, yeah. And uh, that's where my, my dad grew up um, and he, he and his brothers, um, yeah, lived a life. Beautiful part of the world. My sister mm. Bethany actually lived in Perth for three years. And oh, did really? Love all the outdoorsiness of everything. When I go back home to Sydney now, I just think it's such a small, sleepy, quiet town. I love Sydney. Okay. I will always adore Sydney. I yeah. think it's the most beautiful place. But I go home and I feel like I'm in quiet, in my quiet, you know, hometown. Mm. And, it, and it is a big city. It's a big, bustling metropolis. But I think um, I think I've become spoiled over the years. Um, so spoiled in terms of in terms of the the messiness and the and the busyness of being in a big city such as London. Um, right. So you go to Sydney and there is art everywhere, there is culture everywhere, but it doesn't feel like you're going to miss out. Whereas in London, there's a feeling that there is art everywhere and there is culture everywhere, and you shouldn't try and see it all. You know, yeah. you can't. You can't. So in London, you have to take a different mindset that says there is so much joy in the fact that there is so much on that I will never see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereas in Sydney, I think you can say if, if that's something that matters to you, which it does to me, you can say, "Oh my gosh, there's this thing on. I'm going to be able to see it. Like, you know, maybe I need to save up for it. I mean, there's cost, of course, of these things. Yeah. But in terms of timing, it, it's much more possible. I think it's a more manageable. Yeah, it's a big city, but it's more manageable. And how about not having a beach beach so close? Oh it? God, <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, I mean. I, I do miss the water um, and, you know, there is, I know there is, you know, the Thames, which for years I was calling the Thames <laughs> or the Thames, I think, at one point. Um, yeah, so it is nice to have the water um, here in London, but it's just not the same. Well, you can't swim in it. Can't swim in it. No, you do really. not want to swim in that water. Bit, you know, <laughs> I mean, you can probably in an hour go down to a beach or something. And there's obviously the ponds and the, the lidos ponds, and so on. Yeah, I mean, the, I went to Hampstead Heath Ponds. Yeah. And I will never do it again. <laughs> I wanted to be open to it. I wanted to be like, this is wonderful. Uh, but it just felt so dirty. And so, um, I, you know, it was, it was, and, and maybe it's like the snobby Sydney with these beautiful beaches. It wasn't for you. <laughs> wasn't okay. For well, maybe we just have to be trips down to the Lidos whenever you fancy a swim. That's right. <laughs> um, so that brings us to question one, really, which is what are your earliest memories of London? Yeah, this is such a nice question to ask, I think, of all your guests. I didn't really know London until I was about in my early 20s. So um, in 2012, I was around 22. And I was I had been traveling around Europe uh, with my boyfriend at the time and having just a really great time. I was about to start my PhD. So I was about to start uh, the research that eventually led to this book. Uh, it felt, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it felt like I knew London, even though I'd never been here before. Um, so it felt, it felt, well, it felt familiar on the one hand, but then also it felt like this giant space to discover. Yeah, I stayed in Bloomsbury okay. um, because at the time and still to this day, but particularly then, I really loved Virginia Woolf. Um, she just, I thought she was wonderful. I still do. I still love her. Um, uh, to the point, in fact, that so little Ellie, the dog, um, here today, when I first uh, adopted her, I was considering, you know, what name should I give her for a very long time before I met Ellie. I was like, maybe the dog's name will be Virginia Woof. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible pun. <laughs> um, but when I first saw Ellie, I was like, oh no, she's not a Virginia. No. She just doesn't look like a Virginia. Yeah, I can see that now. (laughs) Exactly, you can see that now. So she had so yeah. So she went with a. I went with a different pun. 
Um, she's Eleanor Pupsevelt. To be honest, I feel I didn't even know her surname, so I'm glad that I now do. <laughs> yeah, Ellie, Ellie's surname. Ellie has her own surname, different to mine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I suppose coming back to it was, yeah, living in Bloomsbury, loving Virginia Woolf and loving the history of the city and just feeling like there was so much that was possible and so much to discover. Surprising to me now is that I, I loved the city and I loved the sense of possibility that, um, that I felt there and discovery. But I also came home and I never sort of felt like, oh, I want to live in London. I okay, never, all right. Yeah, I never felt that. And my, um, a lot of my friends, a lot of Australians do. Mm. Uh, and so I actually came to London just by the fact of finding a job and the job happened to be in London. And now I can't believe what an incredible city it is. Oh, that's so nice. But there were a few things that I did that I think um, were important. So I, I, you know, I went on a walking tour and got the history of... Yeah, that's great, actually. Yeah, 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 it was fantastic. And I got to sort of see all the different... Get a feel, you know, get a feel for the city via via foot. Um, I went to uh, the Houses of Parliament, so I did a little tour and then I went and sat in Parliament and heard them all yell at each other. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was, uh, yeah, that was an, that was an experience at least. I remember really loving the pubs. I went to quite a few different pubs just sort of on my own um, and just really loved the, the, the feel of it. You know, especially some of those old school pubs with, you know, the dirty carpet <laughs> yeah. and the, you know, it's it's got real character and you know there's <laughs> history here. Yeah. It wasn't, London wasn't on my radar to live in as a place. But since being here, I've completely fallen in love with this city and I genuinely think it's the best city in the world. You know, London has everything you could want. Um, but it's still got that manageable feel to it, you know, like it's got the, the villages um, and, you know, you can, you can still feel like you're, you're living a, 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 if you want, a quiet life. Mm. But the moment, if you want the sort of the loud or the bustle or the excitement or the culture, you just go a little, you know, into the city or a little further and you're there. And it's, and it's got everything a big city could give you. But also you have spent time in China, haven't you? I have, yeah, yeah. I, um, I was in Guilin, which is in the south of China. It's one of the most beautiful parts of China. Um, it's sort of a tourist destination within the country. Uh, and it was just such a magical time. I had, you know, a little um, motor scooter. Oh, wow. So I yeah. <laughs> drive around the streets of China on my scooter. Um, I was there learning the language. And so my, my, my job was to communicate and my job was to engage with people mm. and to chat. Mm. And it was just, it was, it was incredible. I, I, it was, it was such a perfect, um, way again that was just after so after LA and therefore after the PhD as well and it was a really good way to um I think recover (laughs) from the challenges of writing a PhD um and to but to do so in a way that was still learning I was learning the language and Mm. and my task was simply to learn for learning's sake right just to communicate it was Mm. it was a really there was no test right there was no Mm. um you know I didn't have to write a thesis or a dissertation at the end of it I just had to learn um, so it was really amazing. So that brings us to question two. Yes. Which is, what's your best London venue? My favourite place in London is the Moth Club. Oh, have you ever been there? I don't think I have, actually. No. Oh, my God. It is It is a sort of night. It's, it's a club venue. It's quite small. It's in Hackney. Oh. And it has a gold glitter ceiling. Oh, wow. And the first time I went in there, it was post-COVID, just a recent, like, COVID. We were still, all of us were all collectively sort of only going out for the first time after. It was an exciting time, wasn't it? It was, Back out after COVID. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was that sort of period. And um, I just remember walking in and seeing a gold glitter ceiling (laughs) and just being wowed. I was like, this is my home. (laughs) And it's a, and it's. I actually didn't stay for very long because I think I was um, still overwhelmed by crowds after yeah, so well, long. Yeah, that's it. And uh, did you go home and paint yourself a gold? Paint picture? myself. I should have. I know that's the <laughs> it's never too late. It's never too late. That's actually a very good idea. <laughs> um, no, but it's it's um, it's a space that also um, you know performers play at, and, and it's, it's a gig space as well as a club. 
And I saw recently Holly Walker, um, who's this incredible singer. She's London-based. She's she's actually Hackney-based. Oh, right. Um, she, you may know her from, she's, she's sort of the vocalist for Marabou State. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of Marabou State, but yeah. I, I didn't know her name Check before. Check her out. So I will definitely. Oh, she's amazing. Holly Walker. Holly Walker. She is so talented. She's just got really raw, genuine talent. Um, and so she played, I think it was, I think it was her first solo gig at the Moth Club. So she's at this quite small space. I think it holds only about 200, 300 people. Um, gold glitter ceiling, important mm. detail. <laughs> and she is singing just incredibly, incredibly powerfully. Um, but she also, you know, it was an important space, I think, for her. She sort of introduced the gig by saying, you know, she thinks of the moth as her living room. You know, she lived around, she lives around the corner apparently. And, you know, she was like, it's so nice to be in this local space. And it was just a really beautiful vibe. And I think London really, the live music here has a real feel of um, connection and community. Yeah. That I just think is is unparalleled. It's it's it was just such a great night and yeah. Yeah, I think it is great to do that. And I, I probably don't go and see enough gigs these days, although I've seen a lot in my life. And when I do, I do think it brings you a certain something and activates a certain part of your brain and your soul, maybe even yeah. where you just do get a feeling that you don't otherwise get. And so, yeah, good for you for going supporting live music. I think everyone will be interested to hear about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I think live music is one of the most one of the most powerful things because you don't just hear live music, you feel it, right? When you're in a space and you're listening to the music, you're also feeling the rhythm, you're feeling the drum, you're feeling the floor mm, vibrate. Yeah. It's it's a really um, – it's a tactile experience. Um, it's – I just – I was devastated when we lost it during COVID and it's nice to sort of have it again not that I get to do it very often (laughs) (laughs) to be honest you know it's every so often now but I think that's um that doesn't take away how was COVID for you um COVID was okay it was a little challenging I was locked I was in America at the time um I was in Texas actually Mm. so I was living in Texas for two years um not as good as London clearly not as good as London (laughs) it was it was I mean it's where I got Ellie um that's where Ellie's from, is it? Yeah, she's got a Texan ah, accent. Ah, I wondered where that bark came from. <laughs> um, but I got there and I thought, you know what, I'm ready to uh, to have a dog. I don't know what's coming next, but I thought, you know what, I, I'm ready now to sort of commit as best I can to, to a family member. And so Ellie, um, or getting a dog was that process. And I had friends at the time who, well, still to this day, <laughs> Danny and Marcy, who um, are actually acknowledged in the book for this particular... Mm-hmm. They're acknowledged for multiple reasons, but particularly for um, helping me find Ellie. So they have a friend um, who owns a ranch, a Texan mm-hmm. ranch, um, and it's a rescue ranch. It's where animals go. Um, right. And uh, Danny and Marcy, I was at the pub with them, we just chatting, and they were saying, oh, our friend on the ranch has all of these puppies that have been abandoned and they're looking to, uh. to find a home for the puppies. And I was like, you know what? I would love to go and meet those puppies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how, that's, how I, that's how I met Ellie. Who, and what sort of dog is she? She's a, she's a lot of things dog. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a particular breed. Or how can you describe her to the listeners? I was, how can I describe her to the listeners? She's, she's a lot of terrier. Right. Um, some people think she's a border terrier. I think there's definitely some truth to that. Um, she's medium sized. She's got a sort of long body, short legs. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. She's a beautiful looking Eyebrows. dog anyway. We'll certainly have her in the photo that <laughs> yes, we take at the end. Yes. I'll include that on the Instagram. <laughs> but what I love about London so much is that you can bring dogs almost everywhere. Mm. Um, you can take it to the pubs. You can yeah. take it to most some restaurants. Yeah. Um, I just, I love that about London. I love how dog friendly it is. It's yeah. just, it's a joy. And it means um, that, you know, if I'm somewhere with Ellie, I often meet people. I have conversations with strangers all the time in a really joyous way. Yeah. 
you know. I think that is a good thing, actually. You do sit around London all the time in the parks. Yeah. People who've got dogs are far more likely to interact with others. So the Moth, it sounds like a great uh, venue. Are there any <laughs> others that are going to get special mention? Uh, quite a few that deserve special mention. Um, I will say... Uh, I, I, I will point to two more, two um, uh, that just sort of, I think, have just such a special space in my heart. And the, the, the first of those two is, is Genesis Film, Genesis uh, Cinema. I don't know if you know it. In- I do know it. Yeah, I've often cycled past it. Oh. I've only been to it a handful of times, actually. Okay. I just think it's wonderful. Um, it's it's sort of no frills, movie, movie cinema, just sort of in Whitechapel, uh it's it shows you know whatever you want to see including film festivals as well so like the usual stuff the usual suspects but also interesting things the film the usual suspects it's a great film Good but film. actually I'm, yeah, I'm, um i have certainly been to see even film premieres there at yeah, the thing yeah, of independent yeah. films yeah uh one that i went to recently was a very good one called dead on the vine oh, okay. it's an independent film um, and they had the premiere there. So, yeah, it's a great one for going along to these unusual things. Yeah. Just having something a little bit different from the usual Hollywood fair and the usual multiplexes that you get around the place. Exactly, exactly. This isn't my sort of, uh, my secret, what, what, the, the perk. No, it's not your London life hack. That's it. It's not my London life <laughs> hack, but it could be in that they have these incredible um couches that you can just sit yeah. on the tickets are pretty cheap yeah. for london for movies so you can get relatively cheap tickets you can get comfy couches they've got a great bar um i just i think genesis is wonderful and it's got a real as you say it's got a real community feel to it too you know they yeah. put on yeah. uh they had a short film festival that i went to yeah. uh that was just great would you ever make a short film yourself I, you know, um, in my LA days, it crossed my mind. Um, so when I was in LA, I was thinking, you know, what do I want to do with my life? Um, I've just finished this PhD. Maybe I want to um, do something else. And I do think there's a real parallel between uh, what it means to be a historian mm. and to be a director, actually, or a writer, a film director. In the way that what you're doing is trying to make sense of all of these different moving pieces um, to create a coherent whole, a coherent narrative that has an arc that tells a story. Um, One of the differences, of course, is you can't make it up with history. (laughs) (laughs) you got to get it right. Not as a historian, not if you're a good historian. Not if you're a good historian, you can't make it up. So you've got to, yeah, you've got to make sense of all of these different pieces of the puzzle that you create or you know if you're if you're if you're writing a film you know you have different ideas or different scenes that don't you don't just sit down and write it from start to end right you've got different chunks and you have to fit those pieces together Mm. it's actually very similar with history that you've got these sort of chunks of research and chunks of discovery that you're you're trying to put together and the end product the written book um, takes, you know, it takes a lot of creativity to get it there. And that creativity underpinning the writing of history is, to me, the most um, fulfilling. It's just so fulfilling and it's um, it's quite rare um, to – it's hard and it's rare to have a have a job that allows you to, to feel that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's great when someone's got a passion for an area of history in particular, like you do with the – China America thing because you know it is interesting because when people can bring that to life and really tell you about the different things that were going on the political things the economic things and so on I think that's what's so wonderful about your book really is that all these different things feed in and it does tell you a story and you know I think that's what the best historians do they give you an interest in a subject you didn't have an interest in before (laughs) and what was the other one that you were going to mention um, I was going to mention Troy Bar. All right. Have you been? It's in Hoxton. It's this incredible space. Um, so Hoxton is a little, it's got like a lot of like sort of shiny, beautiful spaces. And Troy Bar is this absolute gem, um, sort of tucked away, uh, where you get some incredible Caribbean food, um, just a huge big plate 
of um of, of food you've got two options i think on the menu and that's it that's good <laughs> plate one or plate two <laughs> um and it's just and what are those two options i think one's veggie and one's not veggie and that's it um and it's just great it's great food it's you know, a whole bunch of little dishes all on all on a big plate um and What's, in, what's so beautiful about it is you're eating this great food and listening to some of the most incredible jazz. Uh, so it's, um, and it's a really joyous jazz. It's, it's messy and like the, the space is, is chaotic. The chairs are not all in a row. It's sort of, you know, it's, it's sort of um, hodgepodge space or people standing wherever they can. It gets really full and it's got a real sense of life. Yeah, that sounds great. It's yeah, great. Amazing food. And you get to see music and people yeah. standing around. It's yeah. like a real night out. It really is. And it's and it's a real night out with um, such incredible talent. Like it's real, like it, it's it's jazz that is riffing in a way that just feels so special. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I, I almost, uh, you know, I, I almost didn't want to recommend it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's, I want, they, they get pa- they get packed, but they um, they always deserve to be packed, I think. It's a great, it's a real gem. So that brings us to the next question, which is, what's the best thing you've seen in London? It's the standout for me in a moment that was just such a, you know, I, I was pinching myself afterwards that this is where I live, um, was in Octo- just October last year. Right. And I, I just sort of finished the writing of my book and I'd submitted it to my, my publisher. That. Thank yeah. you. And I, um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to buy myself a present. And I bought myself a present, which was these tickets to this theatre. I love theatre. I love plays. Mm-hmm. It's my favourite art form. Um, I just love that it's um, the art that you see is only what happens on that night, on that stage. They can do the play again and again every night, but it's always different because Mm. it's being done a different time. And I just love that about it. Um, And so I wanted to get myself um, a play and I'd I'd read about this one and I thought, I've got to go to this. So I got a ticket. I got the cheapest ticket I could in the instead of, in the nosebleeds. <laughs> in the gods, as they call it. In the, in the what do you in call the them? Gods. In the gods. In the gods, exactly. <laughs> in the gods. Um, so I got my in the gods ticket, which was still not cheap. Um, but I was like, I really want to see this play. It's called Vanya. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's, uh, is it from Ank- Uncle Vanya? Yes. Yes. Uncle Vanya. But they just called it Vanya there, in, with that production, didn't they? Yes, they did. Exactly. So they um, they adapted it um, in a in really interesting way. And so th- what they did was that it was performed by Andrew Scott, who so he's the hot priest in Fleabag. Oh, yeah, wow, I love Fleabag. <laughs> oh, my gosh, me too. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so, so Andrew Scott, hot priest from Fleabag, um, but he played every character. Um, oh, and it was just... No, every yeah. character, imagine trying to do that every yeah. night. Um, exactly. Oh, my God. And he, he uh, and I have seen twice the play in before in London. Right. And it was great with the, the, where I saw it was somewhere on Haymarket, the uh, Vaudeville Theatre. Oh, nice. But with a whole cast of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was just him. So he was doing every character... It was it was it was the most exquisite acting. And this is would you say that's the, this is the best play you've ever seen? Then it was the be- I've, I, it was the best play I've ever seen, hands down. And wow. pa- and it was just that the talent was unbelievable, mm. but the experience. Yeah. So a key part of my absolute joy of this incredible night mm. was, as we say, I was up in the, up with the gods. <laughs> But I arrived and they said, oh, sorry, man, there's something wrong with your ticket. No. And I thought, oh, no. And they said, we're filming it tonight for um, because, you know, how they film plays. Yeah, they yes, actually, because I yeah. love watching. Sometimes if I don't get to see them, then I watch them afterwards on the uh, National Theatre, have a program where they bring out plays on movie theatres, but also on television. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I love that about I love that about London. I love the democ- like the democratizing of of, you know, sometimes you know plays can be very expensive, but and for sure. I think that's more. a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you will get to see that again. Yeah, you, well, that's true. <laughs> that very performance. That's true. That particular performance. <laughs> but also, I yeah. love being them when someone's filmed something yeah. because then you've got a record that you can always yeah. go back to of the very night that you had there. Perhaps. Well, exactly. So this very night 
It was the night that they were filming and they happened to be filming from my seat right at the back. <laughs> and so they said to me, "With I'm sorry, there's a camera in your seat, so you're going to have to sit in the front row. And so I had, or you know, a few rows from the front. And so I had my, you know, relatively cheap ticket, but this time sitting right in the sort of middle, a few rows from the front, watching this incredible play. And it just, it was just. That's amazing. To get seats right at the front like that. Right at the front. Unbelievable. Especially as a sort of, you know, present to myself for finishing, you know, all the hard work of the book. And you bought them right, you bought them at the top and then you gave them. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it was. I I, I do love that. I will happily sit anywhere in a theatre. Of course. And I think the most important thing is getting along to see something. Yeah. I love it when that happens. And what I have done before, maybe I shouldn't mention this because it should be my London Life hack, (laughs) is at half time I've looked down from the gods, seen it somewhere where there's no one sat there on the front row maybe even, and I go along with whoever I'm with. I say, come on, should we go and sit in the front row? And I literally moved from the front row, even in the Royal Opera House. Oh, my God. Ben, that is genius. (laughs) That is genius. (laughs) No, I was just goody two-shoes. I would never think to do that. Although now I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm not. No, I was just, I just got, um, yeah, I just got very lucky. And as I say, it felt like the whole package of, like, the best Best acting I've ever yeah. seen right in front of me, as I say, um, seeing it so close and being so close to a human being who is mm. capable of just that range. It was it was unbelievable. And, you know, it was a Tuesday night or something. Right. So, you know, again, it was this moment of like pinching myself that this is my city, you know, a casual <laughs> Tuesday night and I'm going out to see um, the most world-class play you can possibly imagine by the best the best actor, like best acting in the world. Like it was just great. Yeah, really amazing to go and see that. Oh, I've, I feel like I wish I'd gone along there. But the wonderful thing is I feel like I can see it as well. And I feel like all our listeners too can, yeah. can too. Yeah, they can, you can all in fact see the filmed um, the filmed edition of the play that yeah, I saw. You can uh, imagine me a few rows from the front. Do you know when it's coming out? I actually don't. No, I have people no can idea. have a look. People yeah. can Google it and have a look. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I will definitely watch that because I love doing that. Um, and one of the theatre plays, funnily enough, that I've seen on the cinema is the original play of Fleabag. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I do oh, recommend a, that. Yeah. yeah. Because she was at Edinburgh, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about that TV programme, which is available on the BBC iPlayer and I believe Amazon Prime, is that you can, um, is that she had done it for like a number of years. Yeah. And and sort of, I guess, then sort of got it exactly right and exactly how she wanted it. So seeing that original play with just one woman on stage the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Similar to Little yeah, Bit to Andrew yeah. Scott. Um, is, uh, is, is a really wonderful thing to see. Oh, I love that. I mean, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is just incredible actor as well. I mean, the two of them together in that was yeah, amazing. Yeah, really she's good. one of my absolute heroes. Yeah, she's great, isn't yeah, she? Really good. Yeah. So that brings us to the next question. What's the best London event you've attended? My, I think my favourite London event um, is probably at Wilton's Music Hall. Oh, no, near, just near the north side of Tower Bridge. Yes, yes. Mm. Have you been there? I have been there actually a number of times. Okay. Actually, that's got a lot of historical significance. Yes, it's the oldest. So it's the oldest. Music um, hall, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the oldest music hall in London. Yeah. Um, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, so as a space, it's incredibly beautiful. And I think you can go onto the Wilton's website and book to do a tour of the actual oh, space. Right, yeah. Um, but what they do every so often is they have a night. It's called One Track Minds. Mm. Um, and um, it's organised by um, a couple of couple of guys who um, bring onto the stage five different uh, um, artists of various kinds who tell a story about a song that changed their life. Mm-hmm. And we as an audience listen to this story. It's about ten minutes or so about someone who explains the significance of a song and we find out what the song is at the end and then we all collectively listen to the song. Um. And 
and it is the most beautiful night. It's just, it's always such a powerful um, space. It's often very funny. I often cry. Mm, wow. It's the whole range of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's storytelling. You know, I'm, you know I think mm. the historian in me you know, that loves stories, it's just, it's incredible uh, to hear um, the, a range of experiences and to learn about someone's life via music. And when you listen to the song, are you listening to it? someone ever do a live version of it or is it always just listening to i've been so one um i've been to quite a few of them now mm. it's it's so as i say they do it quite regularly um and i've been to one where one of the um one of the speakers she spoke about um the power of a particular song that she and it was a song that she wrote she was a singer songwriter herself i'm blanking on her name i'm sorry it's a beautiful dog again in the that background. was a beautiful dog groaning <laughs> not either of our stomachs <laughs> <laughs> neither of our stomachs right. <laughs> any kind of strange noise will blame it on the dog <laughs> yeah. um but this this incredible woman was talking about um you know she's a singer songwriter and talking about a song and the song that was significant to her was one that she'd written uh for her wedding um on her wedding day and, and played as as her wedding vows and so oh. she did play that for us live oh she did okay yeah, so yeah. it can be a little so it can bit be that there's sometimes dance sometimes dancing um so uh or dancing if, by them on stage or do or you, everyone, you guys know everyone okay. all of the above yeah. <laughs> uh, but is it seated the gig or is it seated because they do also sometimes do st- i have been to standing gigs in there right. but i'm not for a good few years right no i've only ever been um actually i think i've only ever been to wilton's for these events oh, have you okay yeah. yeah it's a great place with all sorts of interesting oh it's a great music, space people yeah. playing and even some theater stuff as well yeah um, it does. One of the things that I think it invites is for you as an audience member to um, think about your own experience to music and think about what would be yeah, yeah, the song yeah. that yeah, changed your life. So I do have a couple more, um, uh, a couple more uh, events that I, I really want to recommend. Um, the first is uh, the London Horse Hospital. Oh. So it's this, it's this former horse hospital in Bloomsbury. Mm. And it, as the name, as it says on the tin, <laughs> it was a it was a place where horses would be hospitalised and fixed and helped. It was, you know, to help I suppose that's how everyone got around in London at one point. Exactly. Well, the yeah. gentry at least. The, well, exactly, exactly. And so it's this incredible space. You can see where the horses would have walked down. It's, it's you know, it's, it's incredible history there. But what they have, it's um, every month is um, a group organise um, what they call the salons in the city. And it's, um, it's always at the horse hospital. If you just Google the horse hospital website, you'll see it, the salon um, there. And it's a really um, vibrant group. It's a real community of people interested in and who love London Um, and each month they get people who are historians or um, or uh, experts in a particular history of London and so they you'll and you'll have like community activists and a whole range of different people talking about uh, their experience um, in understanding this history and so they have sessions on boxing the history of boxing in London um, or uh, the the history of music venues in London. It's oh, a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's so great. So I I, I really loved um, going to them, and I think being in the horse hospital has this like added <laughs> yeah. dynamic to it. Well, I've never been inside there. Yeah. So it's, how many people does it fit in there? When um, it's quite a co- I would say about uh, fifty to sixty. Okay, so it's quite an intimate venue. Intimate venue. It's got great art on the wall as well. Mm. So you walk in and you you sort of you. You get this sort of salon-style discussion. It's usually two people talking, and then um, you know questions from the audience. Um, it's quite it's quite dimly lit, so you're going downwards to where the horses, you know, the stables or something, yeah. former stables, <laughs> with this you know, great art all over the walls. Um, so it's got a real um, it's got a real sort of creative feel to it, which I which I love. The third of um, of my uh, London events is, is these walking tours uh, oh. that I um, that I began doing when I first arrived here as a way of sort of getting to know the city. Uh, and there's this um, guy Jack Cheshire who who runs these. Um, he he's ma- he used to run these walking tours as a sort of side gig. He had a he had a day job, 
and he did these walking tours on the side. Right. But he's so good and he became so successful that it's now his 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 day job is is to run these. Good for him. I know, right? I think it's incredible. Um, and so Jack has these walking tours all over London and a whole bunch of people, myself obviously included, <laughs> who have been to all of them. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I've even took my parents. How could be? He and he, he gives you, he, he gives, he has tours of Lambeth. Right. Um, so it's off the beaten track and he gives you also the beaten track so you can go to Covent Garden okay, that's good you've got a choice of beaten track or, or no beaten track <laughs> exactly you gotta, you got to you know, cover every track <laughs> yeah absolutely beaten or not <laughs> beaten exactly beaten or not um, and so Jack yeah takes you on these great tours of, um, of London they're always booked out now so you know you've got to get in early uh, and he's also got um, a, a book uh, that he's written that's, that's beautifully illustrated that, that, that again, just sort of gives you little, um, like his tours, gives you little snippets and, and insights into the city that you wouldn't otherwise know. Um, okay, well, that sounds like an interesting book. What's, yeah. what's his name again? Jack Cheshire. Jack Cheshire. So people yeah. can look that, look yeah. up this guy if they're interested to read that book yeah. or go and on one of the tours. Yeah, the tour company or the, the tours um, that you should look for is called Living London History. Living um, London History. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I'll see if I can find his website or and put a little bit in the show notes to that as well. Yeah, yeah, um, I think, um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great um, tour, not just for, as I say, my parents came along and loved it, but, you know, those locals as well. You, you learn so much about your city. And how often does he change these tours? Um, he, he's been adding new ones now and then. Look at me sounding like such a, <laughs> such a groupie. He's, he's always, he's had new ones. He had one over Christmas, um, special Christmas tour oh, nice. of the Mayfair lights. Oh. Um, that was really fantastic. So he, I think he is sort of expanding the repertoire, but as I say, he's always, they're always booked out. Right. So I, I. And how many people on each one? No more than 15. Okay. 12 to 15. Oh, that is quite nice then. Yeah. Because sometimes yeah. you do get, I sometimes go on these free tours when you go to the oh, city and there's yeah. like 60 people there. But I still love going on these sorts yeah. of tours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sounds like a really great intimate one to go to. If it's 15, then you're really going to get to ask him questions and talk to him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, that brings us to the next question, which is, what is your best place to eat in London? I love hosting people and cooking for others. But my favourite place to eat, I would say, is the Camel Pub. Okay. Do you know the Camel in Bethnal Green? I don't know it, no. Oh. I mean, I, I, I've cycled past it, yeah. but I think if I've been in there, it's only for a drink. Oh, my goodness. It is my, it's probably one of my favourite pubs. It's definitely up there as one of my favourite pubs. Um, and it is absolutely, hands down, um, the best p- pies that I've ever eaten. Um, and... That's all they serve is pies for food. I think they have nachos as well, but why would you go and eat your nachos when they've got these incredible pies? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could have nachos to start. Maybe then... you could have nachos to start. <laughs> um, but they serve, they, they, it's a pub that's very sort of, um, it's got the, it's, it's got, ca- it's got actual camel like statues and I things. I thought you were going to say it's got actual camel pie. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think they should probably think about that as an option. I'll give a little thanks to Ben over here. <laughs> um, Best of London. <laughs> Best of London camel pie. Best of London camel pie, that's right. <laughs> so they've got actual camel, an actual stuffed camel in there, have they? No, they don't have an actual stuffed camel in there, but they have little camel like paraphernalia. Okay. And, you know, camel pictures and camel statues and, you know, you know it's a, it's a, you know, it's the water in the hole, right? It's where the camel goes to, like, oh. get there. Get so there any big camel fans as well? Camel, any, right on that. <laughs> that's right. Anyone that's <laughs> a fan of the camels. Um, but they have their pies are just, um, yeah, it's very simple. You, you go, you eat your beer, you, you, eat, you drink your beers, <laughs> and you eat your pies. The owner, she's amazing. Um, she's really kind to Ellie, the dog. Oh, that's important. Very important. And, yeah, it's it's great pies. Um, I, one of my um, very best friends, Coralie, she and her, her husband, Liam, came to visit um, uh, maybe a few months ago. 
and I took them there and Liam apparently still to this day dreams about the pies. <laughs> and what sort of pies, what's like your go-to pie order? Um, my go-to pie order is this, um, it's a it's a uh, chicken and goat's cheese pie mm, that they do. Chicken so, and goat's cheese. I know, okay, fancy, right? Yeah. I know. So it's a it's a sort of it's an interesting combination that just works really well. Um, and there are vegetables in there as well. I'm guessing. Veggies in there as well. There's some squash. Um, they've got some good vegetarian uh, pies as well. Some That's great good. meat ones. And do they come? Do the pies come with anything else? They come with mushy peas and they come with gravy. Okay. Um, All right. And so again, when my parents were visiting, um, not only did I take them on the Jack tour, but I took them to the the Camel Pub. And my mum is not a mushy pea fan. I'm also not a mushy pea fan. You're not a mushy fan. pea fan. I wasn't going to mention anything. <laughs> but I'm, not, I'm with your mum on that, You're with mum on that one. Well, I mean, I just don't like the idea of the fact they've mushed <laughs> up peas already. And this sort of thing. Anyway, lots of people love them. And I think yeah. it's a great thing to have. Yeah. But I did make a little mental note thinking, okay, if I go there, I've got to say hold those Hold mushy. those mushy peas. <laughs> well, I can tell you, you and my mum together will not get the mushy peas, but you also don't get anything else. <laughs> So you know, it's mushy pea. I can't or say I'll oh, have a little, little bit of salad instead. No, of the, no. no, that's it. That's it. I I really like it about them. They're like, now you get your pie, you get your mushy peas, you get your gravy, and that's it. No chips. <laughs> no chips. Bit of nachos on the side. You can maybe get nachos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Dad, I guess the Yorkshire man. Uh, oh, he and yeah. I were loving the mushy peas and the pie. Mum loved the pie, um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a space that knows what it specialises mm. in, and it's 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 doubled down on that what's your best place to buy things in london as i was saying before with all your questions i love that you have the same questions for each guest by the way i think it's a really um it's a really nice sort of way to do things it certainly makes my life easier (laughs) (laughs) it's it does i mean it's but it also it gets you thinking in interesting ways and with all of your questions i was like oh i can't narrow it down there's so many options this question i was like i don't know (laughs) because <laughs> I'm not really I don't really like shopping very much I I don't like shopping um, uh, and I don't go very often and if I do go I try and do it all at once and get everything I need and then I don't do it again for a year or so um, good for you yeah I think that is a better way to be really yeah it's sort of it's yeah, it just, I don't like the crowds, I don't like the effort, I don't like the commotion. It's the curmudgeon in me coming out. <laughs> but what I do love, and so my best place to buy things um, is actually a bit of a cheat because I haven't been here yet. Mm. But I need to get some buttons. Oh. <laughs> so I have a cup, I have two different uh, items of clothing that uh, need some buttons. Mm. One, um, a button has fallen off. And the other one is a shirt that I bought from a charity shop um, uh, that I didn't realise until after I got home that had no buttons on it. No. (laughs) I know. And I thought, oh, this is such a beautiful top. And it is a beautiful top. Um, I was like, why is it so cheap? And (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't try it on, which is obviously rookie era number one. But I guess you could wear it with a T-shirt underneath or something. I could wear it with a T-shirt underneath or I could buy some buttons. So where are you going to go to get your buttons? So what I love is that there is a shop dedicated to buttons. All that it sells is buttons and it feels so British to me that you can go somewhere and get your buttons. Um, It's in um, Marlebone. It's only open on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. It feels like such a... 19th century adventure (laughs) (laughs) that you know this this place that has um been around apparently for you know over 100 years and has in that time carved its niche in the world in in selling and curating buttons wow it's amazing (laughs) isn't it actually i think buttons can make quite a difference yeah and often With certain things, I like buttons to be the same color and this sort of thing. Yeah. And it's and I've never actually replaced the buttons of an item that I own, but I have thought about it. <laughs> and it, I think yeah. that if you've got something like even if you put gold buttons on something or something unusual, I just think it really makes can make a world of difference. Uh, I'm not. I don't know a whole lot about tailoring. I do own a sewing machine. Do so you? That's a, start. To, <laughs> that's a start. That's a start. And. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I think buttons can make a real difference. It would be such an interesting place to go. Yeah, I can't. I mean, as I say, I can't wait because I haven't been. Um, so my this is a bit of a cheat answer. 
Um, but I, I just, I, I love that it exists and, um, because yeah, I don't want to just get any old buttons and I want to you know, make sure that they look right for the top. I've got to go in and, um, yeah, I just, I think there's something very in the world that we live in where everything is commercialized and everything is instant. I like the idea of, you know, replacing the buttons that I need for a couple of tops um, by going in and actually speaking to someone and looking at what they have. Yeah, I think that is nice. So too much is done online in a way, and that is very convenient and wonderful. Mm. It is nice to actually go in and speak to someone. So is there anywhere that you've been to where you have bought something? <laughs> have I purchased something in London? <laughs> Absolutely. And I will say that probably my, my other sort of thought when I was thinking about this, like where... Do I like to go buy things? And it's, um, you know, maybe it's a predictable answer given my my background and my job, but it's Brick Lane Books at the bookshop. Oh, yeah. um, it's just, a, it's really close to where I live um, and it's a very, um, it's an independent bookshop. Um, yeah, I haven't been inside there. It's really lovely and it's a great space, not just to get books, but to have, they have events, um, like what uh, uh, author events and different things. Oh, great. Yeah, and one of the things that they do that I think is really nice, again, sort of part of this sort of building of community and, and, and local sort of connections, is they have a short story competition where um, local writers can send in um, a short story. It gets sort of, um, you know, it gets uh, considered as part of sort of the, the sort of the selection and they publish the top ten every year. And they have this little book of the top 10 uh, finalists for the Brick Lane Bookshop short story competition. And since I've moved here, I, I discovered sort of, you know, as I say, it's close to where I live. So I discovered it quite quickly. Um, and I've been reading it ever since um, for the last couple of years. And I, they're just, you know, great stories. I'm a big fan of short stories in yeah, general because, yeah. uh, you know, you get a snippet into a, a moment or an event. Um, and written well, it's such a craft. Yeah. And so, yeah, I Brick Lane Bookshop and the short story collections. We come to the penultimate question. <laughs> What's your best area of London? Well, my best area of London is the area that I live in. Uh, but when I was thinking of my answer to this, one of the things that I was thinking about is how much what makes London special and what makes it's such a great place to live is that there are so many areas and there are so many best areas. Well, that's it. And so many people, it amazes me always how, how many people say my favourite area of London is the place I live in. <laughs> and maybe that shows you if you live in a certain place then you get to know all the beauty and wonderful things of that area. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the joys of this podcast is a lot of people who are listening and say, oh, I found out about these great things that I didn't know about because people often do tend to go to the same sorts of places. Yeah. And... Then you find out. So your area, of course, is Bethnal Green. Yeah, yeah. So my area is Bethnal Green, um, and that's the space that I've come to know um, largely because my best friend was living here um, when I first moved and here. And who's that? Um, Charlie. Charlie Cox, <laughs> um, uh, one of my favourite human beings on the planet, and he he was living here um, for about uh, six or seven years, um, and he was I I, th I speak of Charlie as sort of my my London training wheels. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of you know he gave me he, you know I, I was you know, I had the training wheels while I was learning to sort of ride the bike of London, uh, and he sort of showed me sort of how to navigate the space, but. Um, most particularly, he gave me the gift of Bethnal Green. He was living in Bethnal Green at the time, and I just knew that I wanted to be as close as possible to Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's since left. He's gone back to Australia, and I, I love the place so much. I love that where I live in my own home is nice and quiet, and it's, it, it's got that sort of, um, you know, it, it's a bit off, off the main road. But I, you know, I step onto Bethnal Green Road, and then there's the mayhem of the, of the of the street sellers um, selling anything you want. Go down a little one way, and you're in Whitechapel, and the mayhem there. Go another direction, and I'm in Victoria Park, which is just beautiful. I go there every morning with Ellie, so it's um it's a whole it's a really it's a very livable space, and it's really beautiful. You go there every morning, do you? Every morning to Victoria Park, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so we um an hour. It's about an hour's walk every morning. Um, uh, and you know we along the way we've gotten to know because we're sort of. 
when I say we, Ellie is clockwork. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of follow, so she'll get me up no matter what time, no matter what I've done the night before. It's a seven o'clock wake up. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, these are the joys of having a dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, because of that, we, we go generally at the same time. Um, we've gotten to know a lot of the locals, like um, Peter, who um, who works for the, for the council, uh, cleaning the streets is one of her best friends. So we say hi to Peter every morning. Um, you know, the, the cafe owners, the other people walking their dogs. Um, so it, it really has helped make um, the space feel like a home, um, that community feel. Yeah, really that's nice. really nice, getting yeah. to know the different people around there. By having that regularity as well, you do it makes you get out and makes you do those things. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, must you must know Victoria Park really well then. I think the pandemic taught us a lot of what matters um, and connection and and being outside and and uh, taking things easy as well, like t- you know, being slow and gentle on your body. Yeah, I think was, yeah, I totally agree, and yeah. I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, yeah. So finally. Mm. What's your best London life hack? Um, my ha- hack is get a bike. Right. See London by wheel. It's just um, it's just transformed my experience of the city. Yeah. Uh, it's joyous. Getting around, mm. getting to work is now wonderful. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not smelly and hot and sticky on the tube. Mm. Um, and you get to sort of see incredible parts of the city um little like side alleys mm. and, and buildings and things that i wouldn't see otherwise yeah it always surprises me that actually you see quite a lot of people on mopeds as well because oh, you have to yeah. pay i think it's like a thousand pounds a year just for insurance on a moped really? um and then obviously with a bike you've got no insurance and also you can park it wherever the hell you like exactly but i did try a moped for one month over a decade ago yeah and Finding a parking space was actually quite difficult for it. You can't just put it wherever you like. So oh, it's very quickly. Point. And it also, it was just much quicker on a bike as yeah. well. Just you can weave in now. Yeah. So for the majority of my life, I have cycled in London too. Yeah. Because I think, like you say, it's a great way to see London, but also you get fit at the same time. Yep. And you must be saving about £1,000 a year probably on... Transport costs. Yeah, I mean, this was my self-justification. I think the girl math, maybe. (laughs) Where I was like, you know what? It might be a slightly pricey bike, but Um, I'm saving. It wasn't that. But I'm going to buy a bike. Um, And my girl math rationale was, well, I'm not going to be buying the tube anymore. For sure. Within within a year, that 100% would have paid for itself. Absolutely. It becomes free. But you have to get a good (laughs) lock. You have to get at least a gold level lock. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I definitely recommend that to the listeners because I had a number of bikes stolen in the first year I cycled and in the you know long time since I've never had one stolen because I've always had a really good lock and actually I've always not had an expensive bike Uh, not crazy expensive anyway like a bottom of the range decathlon racer oh no I am absolutely not talking about some (laughs) fancy expensive nothing or other but um no I've got my bike is the thing about my bike is that it's pretty so, <laughs> yeah. so it's from Brick Lane Bikes. Oh, nice. um, it's yeah, it's bottom of the range, but it's um, <laughs> but it's it looks really nice. It's blue, um, and I wanted something that's pretty. Um, and I one of my actually one of my reasons for that was that if I look vulnerable on the road <laughs> on my pretty bike if i don't look like someone in lycra who's like serious cyclist or i'm more likely to have cars want to avoid me because it's like oh there's that there's that lady over there on that pretty bike <laughs> without you know with her backpack and her whatever like let's stay clear from her so it's <laughs> a good idea <laughs> that was my thinking at least the other thing about cycling in london is there's great cycle lanes everywhere yes and for anyone listening as well, if you use the City Mapper app, yes, yes, I then, love and you City put Mapper. that on quiet because mm-hmm. you've got option of quiet, medium, or fast, or something for what kind of cycling directions you want it to give you. If you put it on quiet, it will take you on the most beautiful, joyous off-road cycle lanes and through parks. Yeah, yeah. 
So it just is an amazing tool to have. You need to get something to hold your That's phone. exactly right. Absolutely. So I've got the thing to hold my phone because mm. especially when I first started cycling, I didn't know how to get places. Yeah. So, yeah, you need to have that navigation and you don't want to be you know, taking out your phone all the time because it's unsafe. But London feels so safe to cycle around totally. as well. I it's really so, think it's yeah. so safe. Yeah. TFL released the stats of how many people die a year. Yeah. And 93 people die in London uh, going on the tube and only 14 people die in London on a bike a year. Yeah, wow. And it's always been similar, like 15, 16, 14, 12, looking at the stats that they, they put out. So in some ways, actually, being on a bike has safety. Um, and certainly when the top doctors were asked about it, they said, well, the fact that it will do so much for your health benefits, yeah. you're certainly likely to live longer as a cyclist. But you have got to be careful. And one of the ways to be careful is to get the phone holder and get City Mapper to take you on quiet off-road lanes. Completely agree. And lights, bike lights at night. Absolutely. Yeah, I wear yeah. an LED strap around yeah, me. excellent. And yeah. I think that lit up also yeah. is crazy important. Otherwise, lorries that are very high up can't see the lights that are low down the bicycle. And also in these days, you can get helmets with lights on. Well, thank you so much, Lizzie. That's really great to hear all of those amazing London recommendations. Where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter or X as it's now known. Yeah, yeah so you can, I'm there. Okay, well, I'll put links to your Twitter account and to buy your book on the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So it um, you can pre-order it now um, and it's available on indie booksellers as well as Amazon. Um, and it's got, you know, my publisher has has it on their website too. So. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in. No, thank you for having me, Ben. It was such a pleasure to talk about, still about history, but to do so um, in a way that feels more personal. And um, it's been a real joy. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Elizabeth Ingelson. There are so many amazing recommendations in this episode, and she has such a wonderful outlook on life. Her book is called Made in China, and I highly recommend it. It's being released soon in hardback and Kindle editions. You can pre-order it now from Amazon and all good booksellers. I put a link to that and to her Twitter account in the show notes to this episode. So please do go and have a look. I'm Ben Affleck with 1F. Send me an email if you have any feedback, questions, or if someone you know would be a good guest. All the contact details are in the show notes, and you can email me at ben at lifemac.com. That's ben at l-i-f-e-m-a-c dot com. Someone close to me had a double organ transplant recently, so if you're wonderful enough to be okay with being an organ donor, please let your loved ones know, as despite the automatic opt-in, your loved one's consent is still needed, and that stops organs being available too often. This week I was invited along to a swing dance night at the Sculpt Head. I had amazing teaching from Lester Wu and there was great music from the London Dance Orchestra. I do love to dance even though I don't get to do it as much as I'd like. Please do listen to all our other episodes. They include great recommendations and insider secrets. One of our guests even talks about a naked dining experience and a secret underground late night jazz club. Next week we have a very special guest, so be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and please forward this episode to a friend who you think may appreciate it. You are a truly wonderful and diligent person for taking the time to listen right until the end. I love you for that. Mm-hmm.